This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome back to the Nature Podcast. This week, it's our festive spectacular. Woo! Coming up in the show, we'll be hearing about a solution to the three-body problem and quizzing our reporters on nature's news from the past year. Plus, we'll talk about some of nature's ten and have some seasonal science songs. I'm Nick Al. And I'm Benjamin Thompson. There's one problem that has stumped scientists for centuries. It's called the three-body problem, and it goes all the way back to when Isaac Newton was testing his theory of gravity. If you have two bodies, for example the Earth moving around the Sun, it's easy to work out the orbits of the two objects. But add a third body into the system, and the movement becomes vastly more difficult to predict. This is the three-body problem, trying to mathematically describe and predict the movements of three interacting objects. Nick Stone, from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, says that he and his colleague have found a solution that doesn't rely on hours of complex computer simulations. Nick explains to reporter Izzy Clark why some three-body systems are easier to study than others. You can imagine a simple three-body system, like the Earth, the Moon, and the Sun. You have the Moon, which is very small compared to the Earth, and you have the Earth, which is very small compared to the Sun. So to a pretty good approximation, the orbit of the Moon around the Earth and the orbit of the Earth around the Sun are both simple elliptical curves. Okay, so if there's an order, because they're going up in sizes of mass, really, then we can predict their movement. That's right. But if those hierarchies or orderings don't exist, that's when the three-body problem becomes really complicated and really intractable. So you could imagine a system of three stars, where all three stars are roughly the same mass and are all at roughly the same distance from each other. And then if you imagine those stars moving around each other in space, they're tracing out these complicated three-dimensional orbits 
that look nothing like circles or ellipses. They're very messy, squiggly structures that you could never really hope to write down in a pen and paper way. With modern technology, we can figure out what's going on by solving equations that describe the system with a computer. But if you don't have access to a computer, then the problem becomes basically intractable and unsolvable. And the reason it's so hard to solve is because the problem is fundamentally chaotic. So what do you mean by that, chaotic? Well, chaos has a sort of a, a colloquial definition, but it also has a very precise mathematical definition. And you can understand the mathematical definition in terms of the butterfly effect. So let's say, for example, we've got some sort of triple star system, and it's not hierarchical. Everything is similar in mass. If you give me, say, the initial positions and velocities, I can use my computer program to predict their motion in time. But if you gave me the same set of initial conditions, but one of the positions had just been changed the tiniest bit, the future evolution of that system would be enormously altered. And that's that's what chaos is in a nutshell. So because of a small change, just because it works for one system, if you change it slightly, it, do it doesn't mean it will work for the rest. That's exactly right. So that kind of exponential or powerful sensitivity to very little changes or perturbations is what makes pen and paper techniques generically fail at producing reliable solutions. Now, it seems that you've cracked the code. So what have you done when it comes to solving the three-body problem? So what, what we've done is to derive a relatively simple pen and paper statistical solution. The way we've done that is by taking a little bit of a cop-out. We've given up on the goal of predicting the detailed shapes of the orbits of three similar bodies around each other, and instead just gotten right to the punchline, which is what happens at the end of the lifetime of that system. And the reason we're able to do this is because non-hierarchical three-body systems are universally unstable. Systems like this always disintegrate. There's a single star that gets shot out to an infinite distance. It travels away and just never comes back. And then the other two stars stick around in a stable binary. And the nature of our statistical solution is to tell you the probability distributions of that kind of outcome. So for example, what direction does the single star go in? How fast is it leaving? What does the orbit of the surviving binary look like? We can give you the probabilistic answer to questions like that. I see. So rather than saying, I've got these initial conditions, tell me what my star system is going to look like over time, you've turned it into a probability of its results rather than, you know, the absolute outcome of what it definitely will be. That's exactly right. So we need to know the masses of the three stars or objects that you care about. And we need to know their constants of motion. So we need to know their energy and we need to know their angular momentum because those are things that are conserved through this messy and chaotic process of three-body evolution. 
Okay, so you'd have a system. So if you know your initial conditions and you know that the energy and the momentum have to be conserved with your statistical solution using the probability, you can say, oh, okay, I now roughly know the the probability of, you know, that third star is the one that's going to be ejected or that second one that we were looking at. Exactly. And like with any kind of statistical solution, it becomes better and more useful the more systems you apply it to. So if you just give me one system that you care about, the statistical solution we've derived will maybe be a little useful. It'll tell you the probability of of outcomes, but there are a lot of different outcomes and a lot of different possibilities. On the other hand, if you care about all of the triple stars in a galaxy, for example, and you give me millions of triple star systems, then the distribution of their outcomes will be very well described by this kind of statistical approach. How can that now be used? Great question. Triples are very common. I could probably spend an hour talking to you and not go through all of the different kinds of triple systems that exist in the universe. So I'll just focus on one in particular, which is triple systems of black holes. These have become very interesting to astronomers lately because of experiments like LIGO and Virgo here on Earth, which are detecting gravitational waves from merging black holes. But there's still a big astrophysical puzzle, which is how does the universe bring black holes close enough together to merge and emit gravitational waves? And one of the leading theories is that they're the leftovers from the disintegration of unstable black hole triples. And that's really the the first kind of astrophysical problem we want to apply our solution to. That was Nick Stone. You can read his paper over at nature.com or you can find a link to it in the show notes over at nature.com slash podcast. As I'm sure many of you are already aware, we've launched our 2019 listener survey. So if you've got just 10 minutes to spare over the holidays, we'd really appreciate it if you helped us out. Head over to go.nature.com slash podsurvey19 to fill out the survey, and as a thanks from us, you'll get to see a special behind-the-scenes video. Have you ever wondered what the pod team looked like? Well, finish the survey and you'll find out. Back to the show, though, and it's time for a festive song. Is it getting hot in here? Well, Frosty the Snowman has a message for us. Snowman had to hurry on his way, but he said. 
Frosty the Snowman, with lyrics by Noah Baker and Anna Nagel, and performed by Kim Coleman. Keep an eye on our Twitter account, at Nature Podcast, for the lyrics. Next up on the show, it's time for our annual quiz. Now, long-time listeners to the show will know that I love to don my sparkly quiz show host jacket and ask the questions. But this year, the torch, or maybe the jacket, has been passed on to the one, the only, Sharmini Bundell. Cue the music. Welcome to this year's Science News Holiday Challenge. I am your host, Sharmini Bundell. On my left, we have Lizzie Gibney. Hello, Sharmini. We have Flora Graham. Thanks for having me. We have Noah Baker. I'm so nervous. And our final contestant, Benjamin Thompson. Hello there. (laughs) It's not the vibe we're going for. This is dramatic, Ben. Dramatic. Hello there. So, please listen carefully as I explain the rules of this year's challenge. On the table in front of you is a bag... In that bag are several pieces of paper. At the top of each one is the name of something that has been in the science news this year. Your job is to pull out a piece of paper and describe the thing at the top to the rest of the players without naming it. However, there is also written on each piece of paper a list of forbidden words that you're not allowed to use. Words I have specifically chosen to make your lives difficult. (laughs) Now, everyone else, if you think you know the answer, just shout out. And if you can, tell us why it has been in the news this year. Given that the bag is closest to me, then I will uh, take the first one. Here we go. There was a thing that was fired out into the heavens and it was due to... Um, descend Barishy. upon oh the crashing crash of the Indian Moonlander or Chandrayaan two crash it could have been it was Chandrayaan two correct and that was back in September um, when they lost contact with it just before it uh, it was due to land and um, earlier this month NASA's actually released some images showing what they say is the impact site and bits of debris yeah which was very sad. it was pretty amazing that an amateur observer initially found that little bit of debris using publicly released images this guy he said he spent like four to six hours a night combing through these images pixel by pixel and finally found a little white spot and literally tweeted at nasa and said like i think this is this thing that's amazing citizen science well done pretty good good start next contestant please okay yep there is a very bad thing that is happening to our world whereby it is getting hotter. Um, and so people who are, you know, smaller than average are campaigning about this. Oh, oh school, school strikes, strikes Greta Thun- Thunberg. <laughs> smaller than average. I mean, they are smaller than the average for a human, I would think. That was excellent. Yes, that was the, in particular, the, the school strikes, climate strikes in, in September this year, which we reported on. Our next contestant is Flora Graham. Okay, let me just look at the words I'm forbidden to say. Okay. Help me, Obi-Wan. You're my only hope. Star Wars. Star Wars 3D display. (laughs) (laughs) Except it's not Star Wars, but, you know, who knows, someday. Yeah, totally cheating my story. This is the the hologram that's not a hologram. (laughs) Yes, it's totally not a hologram. What is it, Lizzie? 
Well, instead, it's a little bead that gets moved around by sound waves very, very fast. And if it moves quickly enough, within like 0.1 second, it can draw the whole picture. And then all your eye sees is this moving little actual real like line drawing in space. Right, Noah Baker. Okay, um, that's a lot of things. For a long time, there are some things that would take too long. Mm-hmm. And the world has been moving towards the magical future Ooh. where things would take considerably less time is than otherwise possible. Is something to do with computing? Yes. Yeah. Oh, Quantum wow. supremacy. Oh, good job, you guys. <laughs> it's quite hard to do that without the word classical computer, oh Google, IBM, Qubit, or wow. Sycamore. <laughs> Lisa, you and I wow. spent an awful lot of time looking at this one. Yeah, no, quantum supremacy is a big deal. So. If it truly is, has happened. Well, yeah, so IBM disputed it, so Google said that they'd um, done this particular task which is a bit, which I was going to say was a bit random but it was literally quite a bit random trying to come up with a, a probability distribution of uh, a random number generator um, and they did it in um, 200 seconds I think mm-hmm. whereas they reckoned it would take a classical computer 10,000 10, years but yeah, IBM disputed that and said it might be two and a half days but that was a kind of theory paper so they actually haven't tried it out and either way it's still faster and it's the first time that we've shown that it's been faster so I think big deal either way. I think you contestants are really getting the hang of this. Benjamin Thompson, you're up. Ooh, here we go. This is something that definitely happened. Um, the moon landings. Anniversary. <laughs> no, you absolutely nailed it. it. It is the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landing. We did a lovely video with that where we got some scientists to talk from different generations about how what the moon landings meant to them. Including the amazing Wally Funk. What a name oh, and what a person. Such a legend. So she trained to be potentially uh, an astronaut at the time in the 60s. You guys are really getting the hang of uh, describing these things mm. in a roundabout way. I'm liking it. Let's see if we can zoom through. Right, all right. We're getting towards the bottom of the bag now. Okay. It's something that... I'm quite a fan of that come from the cosmos and um, they I was going to like describe what they if you translate them to sound what they would look like but it's kind of like a boop Oh, so it sounds like a Ooh. gravitational oh, wave a, a to me. Fast right? radio burst. Yes. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like of all the people that are a big fan of things, it'd be Davide would be the gravitational waves. And yeah, I thought, correct. what is Lizzie's thing? I'm sorry. I'm a fast radio burst kind of girl. I'll know that for the next time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They are little, um, very, very short radio blips, which are still mysterious. We don't know where they come from, but now there's a telescope called Chime in Canada that is finding them, actually in the hundreds, or they've, right? they've not published that yet, and um, loads and loads of repeating ones, which mean if they repeat, that makes it easier to find where they're coming from, and in what galaxy, and that might help us figure out what is actually causing them. Brilliant work. Right, Flora Graham. Oh. Beat that. Oh, so this is a little guy that has been living far, far away Somewhere red and rusty. Is it Yoda? Oh, is it, is it Opportunity with Rover? Yes, it is Opportunity ah. Rover. Got lost. Well, it fell asleep. Fell asleep. Forever. Well, until we go over and like dust it off a little, little bit. <laughs> this was in February that NASA said its final goodbye to the Opportunity Rover, officially ending its 15-year mission. And what's the, what's the next lander due to land on Mars and how long is it due to sort of be operational for, do we know? Oh, there are a bunch. Uh, 2020 is the year of Mars landings. Exo Mars, hopefully, if they can sort out their parachute problem. China said they were going to land one, but I haven't heard more about it, so I'm not sure if that's actually happening. And uh, there's also a NASA lander, I think, a new one. Right. Noah Baker, last piece of paper. There's one more in here. Oh, my. There is a time in the history of us... Where there was more than one type of us. Yes. Sometimes people refer to as the Lord of the Rings Earth. 
this year there is another An- another is new human species. The there we go. The new human species is exactly what's on the card. And um, so I think this is Homo luzonensis, which was yes, the new the species found on Luzon, the island in the Philippines. Mm. And I think they worked this out based on a tiny fragment of a of a finger bone or a toe bone, perhaps a few others. And this is this mysterious small human species. That was a fantastic team effort. And Yay. also, you all remember a lot of the news stories from from this year. <laughs> More than I <laughs> thought. Yeah. yeah. I on this instance, I'm going to give the prize to Benjamin Thompson. Uh, for the phrase, this is a thing that definitely happened. <laughs> well, you know, I'd just like to thank everyone. I'd like to thank my family. I'd like to thank my colleagues. You know, I, I, I deserve this. I've worked so hard for it this year and I just, God. Join us again next year for more Holiday Challenge. Thank you. Woo-hoo. Audience applause. <laughs> so there we have it. That was our festive quiz hosted by Sharmini Bundell. And won by me. Yes, very well done. For all the news discussed and the latest science updates, head over to nature.com slash news. Next up, time for another seasonal science song. And for all you super massive black hole lovers out there, this is the carol of M87. That was the carol of M87, performed by Simon Langton Boys School Chamber Choir and directed by Emily Renshaw Kidd, with lyrics by Sharmini Bundell. Once again, head over to Twitter, at Nature Podcast, for the lyrics, if you want to sing along at home. And be sure to stay tuned for one more song at the end of the podcast. Last up on the show, it's the final news chat of the year, and we'll be doing some looking back at 2019. Here to peer back with me is Richard Van Norden, Features Editor here at Nature. Richard, thanks for joining me. Hi. So, as I said, we'll be looking back at the past year, and to do so, we'll be looking at Nature's 10. Richard, for those who might not be familiar, what is Nature's 10? Nature's 10 is our list of 10 people who mattered in science this year. It's not an award. It doesn't mean that they are the 10 most important people, but they're 10 people who made great discoveries, were involved in important controversies or perhaps defended science. I think when people look back at the year, these are some of the people that they're going to pick out as being important. So we don't have time to talk about everyone, but I picked a, a few for us to chat about. For the first, listeners may remember pictures of parts of the Amazon burning earlier this year, which has led to some criticism of the Brazilian government. One of the people on the list has also been critical of the government for similar reasons. We picked Ricardo Galvao, who was the head of the National Institute for Space Research in Sao Paulo, which uses satellites to look at deforestation in the Amazon. I say he was the head because in July, Jair Bolsonaro, Brazil's leader, essentially accused the group of lying about the data. And he said Galvao might be in cahoots with environmentalists. Galvao was pretty shocked and he took some time to think about this. And uh, the next day, he said the president was a coward. 
he called for a face-to-face meeting with the president. He pretty much knew that he would lose his job because of this. And he strongly defended what his institute was doing and the integrity of the data. Sure enough, two weeks later, he was dismissed. He's become, I think, a bit of a national hero for just standing up for science. A woman even stopped him on the subway in Sao Paulo and thanked him for standing up to Bolsonaro and explaining why preserving the Amazon matters. So Galvao now is is back at his previous position. He's at the University of Sao Paulo, and he was preparing to stop giving interviews and focus on his research, which is actually in fusion because he's a physicist. But so many scientists had thanked him for speaking out that he, he realised he's got a responsibility to continue to advocate on behalf of science in the face of political pressure. Well, maybe in a similar theme then, the next person I want to talk about has been looking at biodiversity loss. And this person had a very stark message for the world. One million species are headed for extinction. Mm, the rate at which species are going extinct is 10 to hundreds of times faster than it's been on average over the past 10 million years. So says Sandra Diaz. She's an Argentinian ecologist and she was one of the three co-chairs of the IPBES panel, the intergovernmental science policy platform on biodiversity and ecosystem services, uh, which this year produced an enormous 1,500-page report essentially assessing the world's uh, ecosystems and biodiversity. And um, the stats are pretty terrible, and the report said that most nations will fail to meet biodiversity targets and sustainable development targets unless they make big changes. Diaz is uh, pretty outspoken and radical, And she's basically spent a whole scientific life collecting information on leaves, soil, biodiversity across many continents. But beyond her career in conservation science, she now has this kind of second career uh, influencing policy. And she's really delighted that the panel's report has been adopted by lots of social and environmental movements like Extinction Rebellion that are pushing for stronger action on the environment. Well, she certainly sounds like a very tough campaigner. And I think the next person we've picked also is. And we've reported a lot about Ebola in the past year. And this person has been involved with that from the very beginning. Mm, This is Jean-Jacques Moyembe Tamfum. And in 1976, he actually co-discovered Ebola. He went to what is now the Democratic Republic of Congo to investigate this outbreak. And when he drew blood samples from people who were sick, he realised the blood wouldn't clot, something was going on, and this turned out to be what we now call Ebola. So now he's leading his 10th battle against the Ebola virus, this one again in the modern DRC. It's killed more than 2,200 people since August 2018, and particularly it's in this region that is pummeled by conflict and political instability, and Ebola responders have been killed trying to deal with this crisis. But Muyembe is also important this year because last month a clinical trial led by his team showed that if you're treated with drugs derived from antibodies shortly after you get Ebola, there's a 90% survival rate. So we now have Ebola vaccines that have now actually been approved. So this is just of critical importance. And Muyembe actually started to draw these antibodies from people back in the 1990s when he uh, developed some of the key public health measures that are still used to contain Ebola. So he was there at the start of mankind's response to Ebola, and he's still there now because he is so persistent in vanquishing this virus. 
Well, sticking with the medical theme, the next person has been looking into the ethics of organ transplantation in China. Yes, this is Wendy Rogers, who's a bioethicist, and she this year basically examined hundreds of research publications by Chinese transplant doctors. The reason she did this is that for decades people have been very worried about where the livers, hearts, and kidneys used for organ transplants in China are coming from. The government first denied. Rumours that organs have been taken from prisoners, and then it admitted that had happened, but says it's now banned the practice, and everything comes from volunteers who give consent. But people are worried about that too. And Rogers, she has prized open this issue, and she and a team of researchers and volunteers, working nights and weekends, found more than four hundred papers that probably used organs from prisoners, and they didn't say where the organs came from. These involved more than eighty-five thousand transplants in these papers. So she reported it this year, and some publishers have responded. There have been more than two dozen retracted papers just because the authors could not explain where the organs came from. And editors say they're very grateful to her for flagging this, and because it's really a bit of a, a bioethical scandal. Also this year, Rogers is co-chair of a non-profit advocacy group in Sydney called the International Coalition to End Transplant Abuse in China, and they asked a lawyer called Jeffrey Nice to write about what's happening, and he suggested a sort of big international panel review. This year, that panel said that people imprisoned for their religious or political views had been killed for their organs in China, and the practice probably continues. Now, China hasn't said anything about this panel report. It hasn't said anything about what Wendy Rogers has been doing. So, Rogers is not optimistic that China is going to be fully transparent about what's going on here, but she's hoping. That the scrutiny will at least perhaps stop any forced harvesting of organs, and certainly will make it very clear to doctors and scientists that you cannot do these kinds of studies without getting fully informed consent and being very transparent about what's going on. So these are four people that have had a big influence on science in the past year. There was one thing else that I was wondering as well, like. Nature's ten, it picks out individuals, but science is a very collaborative thing. Like, why is it that we pick just individual people? Yeah, we want to highlight the human face of science. So we're aware that, for example, Sandra Diaz was only one of three co-chairs of the IPES panel, and thousands of scientists worked on that report. But in order to bring across the human story of the effort, the work, the coordination that goes on into making this stuff happen, we decide to pick one person. To go into their life and career, and to bring forward their emotions and why they do what they do, and that's really the aim of Nature's Ten. So the teams behind these individuals' work are also incredibly important. But it's very hard to tell a story that reveals the human face of science when you're picking an entire team. Thank you so much for joining me, Richard. Thanks, Nick. It was great to be on. Listeners, for the full list and everything we discussed here, head over to nature.com/news. So that's pretty much it for this year. This is the last regular show of 2019, and I think it's the right time to say thank you to each and every one of you who listened to the show, or took time to email us on podcast at nature.com, or filled in the survey. It really means so much to all of us here. We're going to have a little bit of time off, but we'll be back in the new year. 
In the meantime, if you're in the lab trying to get some last-minute results or studying for an exam or whatever you're up to, we'll have a bunch of extra shows coming up to keep you company before we return in 2020. To play us out, let's have one more song. We talked about it in the quiz and it was one of the biggest science stories of the year, Google's claims of quantum supremacy. So here's Rocking Around Supremacy. It's performed by Phil Self with a saxophone solo by Dave Brazier and lyrics by Kerry Smith and Sharmini Bundell. I'm Nick Howe. And I'm Benjamin Thompson. See you in the new year. Rocking around supremacy with the latest quantum chip. Google says that won the race, IBM says it's a blip. Rocking around supremacy with a regular PC. Really take a thousand years, there's no time to wait and see. You might get a futuristic feeling when you hear voices raised in praise of physics deck. The halls with 54 cubits rocking around. Supremacy is the hype just overblown. There's more to do, but either way, it's a quantum milestone. Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.